sent your new partner, our new pastor, God willing, coming to us shortly, has um, a, a nice thing which I like. He, he announces what the evening service is going to be about. So it's there to attract people in. And he, um, he always gives just a little bit of an idea of what he's going to speak on in the evening. And tonight, I'm going to be speaking on the promise of God that he will be with us. God will be with us. Now, hopefully, some of the younger ones, I'm going to speak fairly simply, and you may hopefully be able to pick up some of what I say, because that's very important. We have this opportunity to join together and to listen to the Word of God, and it's important that everybody um, has that opportunity to listen and to understand. Now, the account of the Philippian jailer um, and the surrounding incidents around that story is uh, much told um, as a, and used as a sermon subject. Now, I don't know if you're aware of Sermon Audio. Sermon Audio is um, on the internet and it's um, based in America, but it, it, it contains sermons. And there is about two and a half million sermons, good sermons, on Sermon Audio at this time. Now, on Acts chapter 16, which we read, there are currently about 2,000 sermons on this, this subject of Acts chapter 16, part of which we read earlier. Now, a, a few years ago, I heard somebody um, preach on this passage, and it really triggered some thoughts in my mind, and I want to um, bring some of those thoughts to you. Now, I want to look at the events that we read of in Acts chapter 16 under three headings. Three, hopefully, simple headings. But the headings are mistakes that were made. Mistakes that were made. And it's my heartfelt desire and prayer that some of these lessons which we can learn from the mistakes which were made will prompt us concerning the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm always very wary of saying anything that may be misunderstood by those who don't have um, a sound um, biblical background teaching to in their lives. And I just wanted to make it clear what the, the gospel is, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the word gospel in the context where we're thinking about comes from the Greek word, and I'm going to get this wrong, eulogion. And that means good news, the gospel, good news. So what is this good news that Christianity is based on? Why do we call it good news, gospel? Now, we can always do no better than to refer to the scriptures for our thoughts and explanation. And again, it's a well-known verse. John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That is the gospel in that nutshell. God's gift to mankind, so that God and man might once again have peace. God made the way. God made the way, the only way for our sins to be forgiven, that sacrifice through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
so that we are able to take on the perfect righteousness of his son, the only acceptable sacrifice to God, receiving forgiveness for our sins. Now man has dreamt up many, many ways to try and have peace with God. But God has given that way. Any other way is an insult to God. It is God's way or no way. God's way or no way. So let's focus our time on our passage in Acts. Now, the first point I want to make is the point of not taking these things seriously. Not taking these things seriously. There was a very sad situation in Philippi, which we read about. Um, A young slave girl, um, as recorded in chapter 16 of Acts, is being abused um, because of her mental health situation. She has been exploited due to her ability to foretell the future, due, due to her demon possession. Now, demon possession was very prevalent in the times of the Bible. Now, she followed Paul and Silas, the Bible tells us in verse 18, for many days, proclaiming what on the face of it was clear truth. These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Now, after a while, these words ate into Paul's soul. They were in his mind all the time. He wrestled with them daily. But verse 18 tells us that after many days, Paul responded and he turned on that possessing spirit and commanded it in the name of the Lord Jesus to leave her. And that spirit came out. So why did Paul do this? Why did Paul do this? After all, the words that were coming from that girl's mouth were truth. These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. There was nothing wrong with that in a way. But but they were being spoken by a force of evil. The spirit that that possessed that girl was not honoring to God. It was evil. Now, when the owners of that girl saw that their pathway to riches had ceased, they were enraged and took hold of Paul and Silas. Now finally, these men took something seriously. They weren't serious when they were abusing that poor girl for their financial gain. They weren't serious when they heard the words spoken by that spirit within the girl concerning the most high God. Now we need to pause. The the Bible is here, the word of God, for us to reflect upon it and apply it to our own personal situation. And it's so important, so, so important. We need to consider for ourselves, are we, as individuals, taking the things of the most high God seriously? We come to church good, but is that taking in and of itself the things of the Most High God seriously? No. 
we seek to be good, fine, upstanding people. Is that taking the things of the Most High God seriously? No. We give to the church. Is that taking the things of the Most High God seriously? No. We pray our prayers. Is that taking the things of the Most High God seriously? No. Even the evil spirit knew what serious things are. The way of salvation, as recorded in verse 17. Little else matters. If we are not trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for our salvation, understanding fully that there is absolutely no good in us that we can plead before the Holy God, being so sorry for our sins that sent the Lord Jesus Christ to suffer terribly on the cross, to suffer physically, to suffer having that relationship broken with his Father then we are not taking these things seriously. We desperately need to because these things are obviously very serious because they are matters of eternity. There's a chilling verse in Psalm 14 and verse 1. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now this is from the inspired word of God. It is God himself who gave that inspiration. We need to take these things seriously. Another verse in the Bible points us in these serious ways, if you like. Isaiah 55, verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Now, now is the time to think about these things. Now is the time to really take them seriously. As I, I um, journeyed here this morning, you could see shops boarded up for the carnival. Those people are not taking these things seriously. Who knows? Who knows if any of us will get to it this afternoon. Now is the time to take these things seriously. And we need to pray. We need to pray hard for our country because this country of ours, this beloved country, is not taking these things seriously. So it's, it's so important for us, if we are non-Christians, to think so seriously about these things. But also, if we are Christians, to pray seriously for the state of our loved ones, for this country in the things of God, so that this country and our loved ones will take these things seriously. Our second point comes up in the account recorded a little bit later on in, in Acts 16, which we read. And this was a mistake of thinking that we can do anything to aid our salvation. Right? The mistake of thinking that we can do anything to aid or contribute or add to our salvation. Paul and Silas were brought before the magistrates who were at best incompetent and possibly corrupt, but they were certainly spineless and lacking in any sort of wisdom. Now, Paul and Silas were beaten, as recorded in verse 23, and then they were dispatched to the local jail. The jailer, 
was given a clear instruction recorded in verse 23 to keep them secure. It's likely, likely that the jailer would have been um, an ex-soldier, someone who is probably no stranger at all to brutality and had very, very little consideration for the welfare of the prisoners, only to secure them at all costs. He knew that if he failed in this, there would be um, a penalty to be paid, probably with his life. So he did this. He, he kept them securely, and verse 24 records that he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. It's, it's not a good thing to imagine what that place was like, but I am sure it was not a nice place in any way at all. Now, human nature would lead us to think that Paul and Silas, who have been unjustly accused, viciously dealt punishment upon, and housed in a smelly, dark prison cell, would have occupied their time moaning and casting blame upon everyone and anyone. But, no. Verse 25 tells us they spent their time praying and singing hymns. What a witness that must have been to the other prisoners who could hear them. That is real trust. That is real reliance upon the sovereign God. Whatever happens, we are in God's hands. And if we are trusting in him, he loves us and he cares for his own. We'll touch on that some more this evening. Now, a drama. A drama unfolds, unbelievable maybe to many who do not have their belief in the all-powerful God who is in control of everything. There is an earthquake. I'm so thankful that we don't have earthquakes in this country. When you see on the television earthquakes taking place, it must be a, a terrible thing because you're completely out of control. You can't do anything to um, protect yourself or do anything to stop it. So there's this earthquake and the cell doors spring open and the prisoners' chains are loosed. The prisoner jailer fears for his life. He initially, from the prisoners, some of whom may be about to unleash a fearful retribution upon him for his brutality towards them. But also, he was given this clear instruction from the magistrates to keep the prisoners securely in verse 23. He knew the penalty for failure would be death. And he's about to kill himself. He's about to kill himself. Now, suicide is a terrible, terrible thing. Um, so many people nowadays see that as some sort of answer. But to take yourself into the presence of God and not to be prepared to stand before him with your sins forgiven. Can there be anything worse than that in, in so many ways? Now, thankfully, Paul stopped the jailer from committing suicide. And Paul gave that assurance that all of the prisoners were present. And the jailer came into the cell. Did he saunter in with a passing interest? No. Verse 29 tells us that he ran in. The authorised version, I feel, is even more 
dramatic here. It tells us that he sprang in. He had a real sense of urgency that was about him now. Do we have a sense of urgency concerning the things of God? Do we really feel our need? Do we have that sense of, I'm unforgiven. My sins are still upon me. The punishment of my sins I'm still bearing because I don't have a trust in God. We, we need to have an urgency and an understanding that these things are for now. So many people, so many people come to church. Oh yeah, lovely, lovely. Oh, I'll think about that seriously later on. When I'm a bit older, next week, next week, we do not know whether next week will come. And to place God unprepared, this is a terrible thing. So this is where the mistake um, happened. Now, I'm being a little bit harsh here. I, I accept that, but let me explain. When the jailer entered the cell of Paul and Silas, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, it's a fine point, I know that, but this was actually a mistake. We can do absolutely nothing to contribute to our salvation. Absolutely nothing. So many people make this mistake. They create their own ways. Well, I think I'll be acceptable to God because I've lived a good life. I'm certainly not as bad as them. Or they think, well, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to give some money, all sorts of things. They try and make up their own ways. Now, these things are useless. We, we cannot lose sight of these. These things are useless because they are not God's way. So why do I say I'm being a bit harsh here? Because if we show absolutely no interest in seeking after God, then in human terms, it is likely not that we will not make any progress. Millions of people in London today, millions of people, have no interest, no desire to think about the things of God. Now, God is supremely merciful and often does save people with little or no interest. Um, case in point will be Saul, who became Paul. Saul was anti-God, but God met with him and blessed him with salvation. But we, we do need, and this is where I'm, I'm being a bit harsh, we do need to show an interest. We do need to take initial steps of thinking about the state of our soul. But we can absolutely do nothing con to contribute to our, the, the salvation of our soul. But we must have that interest and that concern for the security of our souls. God's, God's way of salvation cannot be partly contributed to because God's ways are perfect and holy. And if we were to have anything to do with our salvation, then our salvation would be tainted by sin. We, we need to trust in God completely for the salvation which he has provided. And that salvation is the sacrifice of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, on the cross. The only acceptable way. We should not waste our time trying to think up ways of contributing to our salvation. The Lord Jesus Christ himself said, 
in John 14 verse 6, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It couldn't be plainer. It couldn't be more clear. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now the third mistake, and our final point, um, comes at the end of the account of Paul and Silas's time in prison. It was the mistake of not understanding the justice of God. We need to understand that God is just, God is holy, and God is pure. The justice of God. We can fill in what happened um, to make this um, a point a bit clearer. We left the jailer a few moments ago inquiring what he needed to do to be saved. Now it would be helpful, I think, to explain what he felt he needed to be saved from. The wrath of God. The wrath of God. The wrath of God is part of the justice of God. God very clearly loves us but can have nothing to do with sin. So we will, those who are not covered by the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, will be punished by God's justice. When the jailer realised this, he understood, he understood what he must do to confess his sins and to repent of them. Now, repent means literally a 180 degree turn and to go away from our sins and to seek each and every day not to fall into those sins again. And he knew that he had to put his unquestioning trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, what he had done in to put his salvation into the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, sadly, some people throughout time have been in a similar position, but have not really meant it. We know that the jailer meant it, because at great risk to himself, he took Paul and Silas to his home, and he treated them kindly. We could see that the jailer was now a changed man, and that's recorded for us in verses 33 and 34. This truly, in that household, was a night of blessing. A night of blessing. Through the preaching of the gospel, through the witness of Paul and Silas, there was blessing in that household. And how we long for similar sorts of blessing. They were saved. Profoundly saved. That household was saved and they were baptised. Now, would we have expected someone like the jailer to be converted, to be saved from their sins, to have the Lord Jesus Christ as their saviour? We should never restrict the gospel in our own mind to a type of person who we believe should be saved. Again, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. No one is too bad to be saved. But sadly, many, many at this time are too disinterested to be saved. 
So to finish by looking at our final point, we have already touched on the justice of God. The, the point is introduced to us nicely in the closing verses of chapter 16. The keeper of the prison, I'm not sure if that would have been the jailer or not, is told by the magistrates to release Paul and Silas. But Paul knew that there had been no justice, no justice in this situation. Paul told them that as Romans, they had not been treated correctly. Now this sent a shiver down the spines of the magistrates. I've always wondered why Paul did not disclose earlier that he was a Roman. He would have avoided a beating. He would have avoided a very uncomfortable night. But maybe, maybe the jailer and his family would not have been saved if he hadn't endured those hardships. Now, Paul insisted that the magistrates, those who had instigated their mistreatment, come and let them out of prison in person. People throughout the ages have made up their own thoughts about God and conjured up pictures in their own minds of what God is like and how he treats sin. People have introduced ways out that are not in the Bible. There is no mention of purgatory in the Bible. There is no mention of some trap door. There is no mention of people being nearly good enough. Nothing whatsoever at all. God is just and does that which is right. God will demand judgment for sin. He can do nothing else. Would, would he have sent his own dear son to suffer a terrible death on the cross if there was some other way? No, he wouldn't. Genesis 18.25 tells us, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? There is an eternity of judgment awaiting those who have rejected God's love for them. And that, that judgment requires an eternity of separation from God in what the Bible calls hell. Serious, serious thing. But we started our um, time together trying to explain what the good news is of the gospel. An eternity with God. An eternity with God. Forever in heaven. The penultimate chapter in the Bible includes these words in Revelation 21 verse 4. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There should be no more death, more sorrow, nor crying. There should be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. So these things are serious. We need to think about them. We need to look to God for our salvation. And please do not make the mistake of thinking that God is not just. So to summarize our points, we need to take the things of God seriously. Point two was we can do nothing at all, whatsoever, to contribute to our salvation. And finally, God is just beyond our contemplation. There are no excuses.